Good morning, Northgate Baptist. Welcome to the live stream. Uh, my name is Garrett. I'm the youth pastor. And I'm going to deliver some announcements this morning. First off, and always first off, it seems, check your bulletin. Um, I have a bulletin here in front of me. I can't hand it to you, but um, I've got something almost just as good. I could tell you to go to the website and just scroll down. There's a weekly bulletin button. Grab that, and uh, bulletin's your uncle. Uh, there's a f- Father's Day is coming up, and we're putting together a Father's Day video. And so to honor fathers, um, we're, we're asking you guys to send in a little clip of a life lesson that you learned from your dad. So help us, uh, you can contact the office for more details, but please send us in videos. And as a new father, uh, if you don't do that, I will be personally offended. The church office is open by appointment. A lot of, uh, a lot of the staff, we are working from home uh, by the new restrictions. So please, if you want to uh, contact somebody at the church, please call so that we can book an appointment so that we know that there's going to be somebody here. Uh, VBS online registration is opening up. Uh, I got a couple details about that that I was told to share. But the dates um, for VBS are July 19th to 23rd, starting at 6 p.m. Registration is on the website. Uh, Please register before June 30th. Uh, And you can find the registration on our website underneath the children's tab. And I'm told there's no cost and no age limit. So that sounds like great incentive. Um, I believe that's all for announcements. So uh, allow me to pray for the rest of our service and we will get things moving. God, we, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that we can meet in this way. And God, I pray as we hear from you this morning that God, the message of the, of the early church, God, what you um, guided your church through, um, as what we have recorded in Scripture, God, that we would be able to learn from them. God, that as Mark speaks, uh, it would penetrate our minds and our hearts and uh, turn us closer to you and understand uh, what it means to be the church. God, we thank you for the opportunity we had to, to worship, to hear um, from many musically talented individuals in our congregation. God, and uh, I pray we'd be blessed by that. And God, that we would we'd bless you through our worship. God, we, uh, oh, we thank you for, for all you do and for all you will do. And God, look forward to hearing what you have for us this morning. God, we pray these things in your name. Amen. Thank you, Boykos. I saw you, Jay. That if that counts for anything. So uh, good to hear from you. Get an update. Uh, let's just continue to worship the Lord now uh, with the through the Word. Uh, but before we do that, let's just pray together. Father God, um, thank you so much for this day, uh, Lord. Even though we can't be together, it's a chance for us to unite our hearts uh, through the Holy Spirit uh, as a church, as Lord, as we gather around, uh, Lord. Uh, 
just pray that you would open our ears, open our eyes, and open our hearts to the truth you would have us hear. Pray that Christ would be near to each and every one of us, uh, Lord, as we, as we just spend this time together as a church. And Lord, I just pray that you would use me, that Lord, you would speak through me as your servant to uh, just proclaim a truth that um, we need to hear in our lives and in our church, and pray that you would just help us to live this truth out, um, yeah, in every hair of our lives. Uh, pray that you would just bless us in our time together today, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you haven't done so already, I would ask you to please open your Bibles this morning to the passage that was just read uh, from the book of Acts. The book of Acts, chapter 2, verses 41 to 47. And as you're turning there, I'll just set the stage with a kind of a cute story I found about a a pastor named Russ. Uh, And Pastor Russ was a pastor at just a tiny little local church in a tiny little small town. But Pastor Russ was attending a meeting at sort of in the big city at the Indianapolis Rotary Club. And as he was there and visiting, the, the members of the club were sort of doing that thing people do. They were introducing themselves and they were kind of talking up their jobs. Uh, you know, the companies that they worked for with each member sort of trying to outdo the others. So, you know, talking about their big salaries and their corner offices and their expense accounts and their company cars. You know, all the stuff people talk about to sort of try to brag about. So when it was his turn, Russ, as sort of a humble pastor, figured, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to one-up them all. Because he stood up and said, well, you see, I'm, I'm with a global enterprise. Uh, we have branches in every country in the world. Uh, we have representatives in nearly every parliament and boardroom on earth. We run hospitals, feeding stations, crisis pregnancy centers, universities, publishing houses, nursing homes. We care for clients from birth until death. We offer the best life insurance you could hope for. We perform spiritual heart transplants. Our original organizer owns all the real estate on earth, plus a vast assortment of galaxies and constellations. He knows everywhere, everything and he lives everywhere. And our product is free for the asking, and yet there's not enough money in the world to buy it. And our CEO was born in a hick town, worked as a carpenter, didn't own a home, was misunderstood by his family, hated by his enemies, walked on water, water was condemned to death without a trial, and rose from the dead, and I still talk to him every day, because I am a Christian, and I'm a member of the church. And you know, when you really stop to think about it, the church, I mean, it really is something amazing. Uh, And yet, who would have thought, as you come to the book of Acts, that that small group of about 120 followers of Jesus, who were sort of praying in that upper room, waiting for the Holy Spirit to come, most of them were sort of uneducated, uncultured, they were dirt poor. Who could have imagined what was begun, that there has become the church that we now know today. But you know what, in many ways, that's exactly what this passage uh, this morning comes in. Because what we see happening in our passage this morning is really, it's a look at the very earliest days of Jesus' disciples beginning to do that work that Jesus called them to do. Because the day of Pentecost came, uh, David talked about that last week. Thank you, David, for doing such a great job. And I mean, Pentecost, it was glorious. It was amazing. Pentecost was everything, I mean, the church could have dreamed of or imagined as the promised Holy Spirit came in power upon the church. And it as David talked about last time, it, it both turned everything upside down and set things right all at once. 
And then Peter preached. And we're told in Acts 2, verse 41, that so those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. 3,000 people were added to the church. 3,000 new believers came to Christ in a single day. And that must have been so exciting for the early church, but probably maybe a little bit terrifying as well. Because you know what? If you do the math, those brand new believers now outnumber the original followers of Jesus by a margin of about 25 to 1. And that could actually present a problem to any church. Because, I mean, how do you begin to train all of these new believers to walk the way that Jesus walked? How do you begin to show all of these new people what it means to be a follower of Christ? How do you take these these baby Christians and begin to turn them and shape them into mature followers of Christ, teaching them to obey everything that Jesus commanded them? So really the church in this passage is facing the question, how do we make disciples? And in this passage, I think we see the church's answer. These verses are a picture, it's it's sort of a snapshot in time of the church being the church that Christ called them to be, doing the work that Christ called them to do and fulfilling the mission that Jesus gave them. And very much this is a sort of, this is a broad summary of what the church was doing. It doesn't go into a lot of detail uh, here, but it shows us a lot of stuff. And I'll be honest with you, when I think about the church as a pastor, uh, this church or any other church, A big part of my theology of church comes from from this passage, these very words. In fact, I think when I was asked, when I was candidating, like, you know, what's the church all about? I probably quoted this. I can't be sure on that. But, you know, when I think about what it is churches should be doing, when I think about what our priorities should be, when, when I think what should the church be focusing on, my mind still goes back to this very passage to help me understand sort of the fundamental basics of what church is all about. That's how important I think this passage really is, which is why I wanted to share it with all of you this morning. And these are lessons for the church about being a disciple-making church. And I've sort of reduced it down to four of them that I want to highlight this morning. So we're going to jump in right with number one that we find in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, where it says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to instruction. But you know what, as you read that, let me ask the obvious question. What was it that the apostles were teaching? Because, I mean, think about the 12 guys that Jesus chose to be his apostles. What were any of them qualified to teach? I mean, was Matthew, did Matthew stand up and teach people about tax loopholes? Uh, You know, did Peter give lessons about the best fishing spots that can be found in Galilee? Was Simon the Zealot giving whittling lessons You know, of course not. That's not, I mean, the obvious answer is that the apostles were instructing the people about the one subject they were more qualified to talk about than any other person. The apostles were telling people about Jesus. Because these apostles, these men, they'd spent time with Jesus. They'd, They'd walked with him. They talked with him. They stayed with him. They prayed with him. For three years, they had been with him. They'd listened to his teaching. They'd watched his life. They'd spent time in his presence. And those are the things, things about Jesus that they were passing on to others. And when you think about, I mean, what a time that must have been. Can you imagine sitting in a room 
and just asking people questions about Jesus and people who actually knew him and getting answers. I mean, someone could ask, you know, what was Jesus like? And maybe Peter stood up and said, you know what? I remember Jesus once telling us that he was gentle and humble in heart and that all who were wearied or burdened could come to him and find rest. And maybe someone else would ask, what was Jesus like as a child? And maybe Mary, his mom, would stand up and say, you know, I remember this time when Jesus was young and we were celebrating the Passover in Jerusalem. And he wandered off and after, only after a long search did we find him teaching in the temple. Amazing people who were listening to him. Maybe somebody else would stand up and say, you know, I'm, I'm having difficulty with, with my brother and I don't know what to do. And maybe John would stand up and say, you know what, I remember Jesus saying we need to forgive our brother. Not just seven times, but 70 times. I mean, think about how amazing that would be. The questions you could ask. And the apostles could give those people the answers. They could tell people about Jesus. And a part of me kind of regrets not being able to be there and ask my own questions. But here's something you need to know. Something we all need to know, and we absolutely need to hear this. Because even though we don't have the apostles to answer our questions about Jesus firsthand anymore, the fundamental truth of the apostles' teaching about Jesus has been preserved for us. And we may never know answers to those other questions we might ask. What was Jesus' favorite food? Or did he snore? I don't know. Whatever questions. But every truth that we need to know about Jesus, every truth that is essential for our salvation and our growth in faith, is still right at our fingertips because it's found in the pages of the Bible. The Bible is now the record of the apostles' teaching for us today. So it's the Bible that now tells us about Jesus. It tells us about who he was and how he lived and when he, what he taught. And it tells us about how he lived and how he died and how he rose from the grave. And we still can, still today, we can still be devoting ourselves to the apostles' teachings when we open up and study our Bibles. So when someone wants to know more about Jesus or grow in their faith, step one of making disciples, get them into the Bible and instruct them in the Word of God. And you know, I, I, when it comes to the Bible, I sometimes feel like a broken record, but there needs to be in our life as a church, as believers, a centrality of the Scripture for the people of God. So let me give you this application. Um, be in the Word. Read the Bible every day. Even if you only start with a few verses a day, take the time to get into the Word of God and be reading the Bible daily. And then if you start small, add more. And if you're already doing that, then you know what? You can get involved in a small group, a Bible study, where you can learn and discuss uh, the Bible more with other people. And, And also make sure you're a part of a church that believes and teaches the Word of God faithfully. Because the disciples devoted themselves to the apostle teaching. They were steadfast and eager and ready to hear, ready to learn more about Jesus and apply that truth to their lives. And so should we. Um, Devoted to the apostles' teaching. But teaching wasn't the only thing that this church devoted itself to. Because they also devoted themselves to fellowship. As we continue in verse 42, again, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship. And you know, fellowship is not something that we can ignore if we want to make disciples. Because the reality is, as Christians, we need each other. We cannot live the Christian life or grow in our faith 
if we try to do it all alone. We're stronger together, uh, together as a church. I mean, in the church, God gave us the gift of one another to each other. Uh, the Bible tells us uh, we're to love each other, pray for each other, encourage each other, admonish each other, greet each other, serve each other, teach each other, accept each other, honor each other, bear each other's burdens, forgive each other, submit to each other, be devoted to each other, and, and even more of those one another's. Because that's one of the blessings, one of the sweetest blessings about being part of a church. That's being there for each other. It's, it's fellowship. And yet Chuck Swindoll tells a story from years ago of a person who put an ad in a Kansas City newspaper that simply said, I will listen to you talk for 30 minutes without comment for $5. And it wasn't before long that this individual was receiving 10 to 20 calls a day. Because the reality is, as a nation, we really are some of the loneliest people on earth. And probably some of the loneliest people in history. You know, the sense of community, the sense of commonality that you find in so many other places in the world, it just doesn't sort of penetrate here in North America, this, that rugged individualism and just that selfishness that you know, we often see in our culture. We're just too isolated. We're too individual. In fact, the United States has been called a nation of strangers where four out of ten people admit to having frequent feelings of intense loneliness. And our numbers here in Canada would be probably no different and far worse now. Uh, as we face isolation and pandemics. And I'm often reminded that the first thing in all creation that God said is not good was the fact that man was alone. Because we were created for community. Created to have relationships. Created to know and be known by others. We were created just to share our lives with one another. In fact, that's what the word fellowship means. Uh, The Greek word for it is koinonia. And the root meaning of koinonia is not, hey, let's get together and hang out. The original word koinonia, the the language means, the root is to share. Share with each other. And they did. They shared their pains and their sorrows. They shared their burdens. Shared their heartaches. They shared their victories, their joys. They shared their lives. They shared everything with one another. And that's fellowship. And we see that on full display as you keep reading Uh, Acts 2, verses 44 to 46. It says, And all who believed were together, and they had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the uh, the proceeds to all, as all who had need. And day by day, attending the temple together, they were breaking bread in their homes, and they were receiving food with glad hearts, uh, glad and generous hearts. I mean, there's a lot of sharing going on here. The church was sharing meals together. They were sharing their possessions, sharing their needs with each other. They're sharing their time together, sharing their homes, sharing generously, sharing all things. And that's true fellowship. But again, fellowship like that's not always easy. Someone once said about the church that in every pew there sits a broken heart. And that under the surface of our lives lurks all the pains and struggles of living life in a fallen world. Pain something all of us share. And there are times in our lives when every one of us will face a burden we can't afford to carry alone. I mean, people we love get sick. People we love get die. Families fall apart. Marriages fail. 
Kids walk away from the Lord. Jobs and dreams die. And fellowship means being honest about that. It means taking off our masks and letting people see the truth of who we are and what we're going, for, going through. It means being vulnerable. And the early church, when they got together, they did that. And they just laid it all on the table and they shared it all together. And for an application for you on this point, I just would encourage you, just reach out to people in your life right now. Reach out to them and listen and find a way that show you that you care and just be willing to share some of your needs with others. And just because we cannot physically together be together right now, it doesn't mean we can't still fellowship together. And you know, it would be, I mean, it would be far easy to be able to do this in person. It's far better to see people face to face, to look each other in the eye. But even right now, there are still ways we can reach out. Physical distance does not have to be a barrier to us sharing our lives with one another, especially with all the technology we have today and telephones and internet and FaceTime and Zoom and all those things. Again, those things aren't perfect, but they make it possible. So take the risk to reach out and share your life, your joys, your hurts, your pains, your burdens. Share those things with someone else because that is true fellowship. And the church was devoted to it. And then we continue, uh, starting at the end of verse 2. They were also devoted to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. And there's a few different things going on in those verses, but I would sum up what's happening here just by saying the church was devoted to praise and to prayer. If I were to sum it up with one word, it would be worship. The church was devoted to a life of worship. And another one of those things, that's another thing that needs to be at the core of who we are as a church, is that we are to be devoted to worship. Devoted to praising God. Praising God with prayer. Praising God through the taking of communion and the breaking of bread. Praising God, you know, for all the things that we see Him doing all around us. In the lives of the people that we know. That's what's happening in this passage. And, you know, I think my favorite part of these verses is in verse 43, when it says, everyone was filled with awe. And I love the word awe. That's a great word. Probably a word we don't hear enough of anymore. Because there's few things worse for a church than to lose its sense of the greatness of God. To me, one of the saddest verses in the entire Bible is Jeremiah in chapter 2, verse 19, where God says to his people, you have no awe of me. We need awe in our lives. As believers, we have the privilege of worshiping the God who created the universe, of exalting the name of the Almighty, of proclaiming God's holiness and goodness, and greatness, and mercy, and love, and grace, and His perfection. We have the privilege to glorify God and be in awe of who He is, and what He has done, and what He is doing. And that is what is normal for God's people. Because as a church, a church without worship, a church without awe is really no church at all. And keep in mind, when I say worship, I don't just mean the songs that we sing on Sunday mornings. Um, 
or the time that we spend in church just watching the service. To God, true worship is giving our entire life, our everything to him. See, worship isn't something that we do. It's part of everything that we do. Every thought, every word, every action, every day, all of that is worship. Our entire lives should be filled with prayer and praise all the time. That's the kind of worship that God is calling us to. And we're told in Romans 12, verse 1, it says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. God is calling us to worship him with our whole lives, offer everything that we are as a sacrifice to him. And that's why I think when we look at this passage in Acts chapter 2, we see what I would call sort of, there's an everydayness about the faith of this church. Uh, look at verse 46. It says, Day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they were receiving food with glad and generous hearts, praising God. I like the NIV version of that in 46. It says, Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. Every day. The people got together for fellowship. Every day they gathered together to, to hear the apostles' teaching. Every day the people met together to worship the Lord. Every day the awe of God and seeing that all that he was doing made praising God a priority for the lives of the people of this church. And again, as people, if as a church we want to make disciples, we need to teach people to see their whole lives as being lived as an act of worship. Lives of prayer and lives of praise. Dedicating to praising God and giving Him glory and living to honor Him in all that we do. Every part of our life. So as an application here, uh, I would ask you this. As you live your life, learn to make the celebration of your faith in Christ a habit. Just let people See, you're rejoicing all the time. There's a story, I love this old story. There's a story of a time a little girl from the big city was given a chance to visit a farm in the country for the very first time. And, and she was kind of amazed at all the barnyard animals that she saw, and the, the cows and the ducks and the sheep and the, the chickens. But it's when she saw the donkey for the first time that she grew puzzled. And she looked at it and she said, I don't know what you are, but you must be a Christian. Because my grandfather is a Christian and you look just as miserable as he does. And you know, sometimes as believers, we have a reputation for kind of being stuffy and unexcited. Sometimes we can even walk around just downright miserable. But people pick up on that. And you know, if you were to ask someone on the street what church is like, they'd probably tell you it's dull and boring. So it's little wonder that a non, in a non-believer's mind, they're asking the question, if that's what being a Christian is about, what's so great about it? And I understand, we're Baptists, we're not all jump up and down and dance in the aisles kind of people, but every one of us needs to have the joy of the Lord in our lives. We serve such an amazing God. A God of power, a God of mercy, a God of goodness, a God who's worthy to receive praise and glory and honor and power forever and ever. And there's joy in that. There's joy in knowing that God is with us. There's joy in knowing that he does what he promises. There's joy in knowing that his word never fails. 
There's joy when you discover the hope and the future that God has planned for you and trust in those things. There's joy when you find forgiveness and salvation in Christ. And what a loss it would be to miss out on that. What a waste it would be to miss that joy. And what a tragedy it would be, a life lived without celebration. Especially after a person has experienced the grace of Jesus. Rejoice always. And I'll, just like Paul, I'll say it again. Rejoice. Live with a joyfulness that is contagious. Make celebration a habit. Because to the church, every moment is an opportunity to glorify and worship God. So we've seen this church dedicated to the instruction of the apostles' teaching, dedicated to fellowship, sharing their lives with each other, and dedicated to worship, living a life of prayer and praise, rejoicing in their faith. And now finally, as we conclude our passage this morning, we see they're dedicated to one more thing. The church was dedicated to evangelism. Verse 47 says, Praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number day by day, those who are being saved. This was a church where people were being saved. This was a church where people were proclaiming the good news to others. This was a church that was a living witness to the transformation that Jesus brings. And you know, that word witness is so important because that's exactly what Jesus calls us to be. We are to be his witnesses to the ends of the earth. And you know, a witness's job is very simple. A witness's job is to simply tell people what they have seen or what they know. Your job as a witness for Jesus Christ is not to explain the mysteries of the universe or unravel sort of the complexities of theology. Your job is simply to tell the people in your life what Jesus has done for you. Tell people the difference that Jesus has made in your life. Your greatest tool for reaching others is your testimony and your willingness to share it. Because someone has said the most important proof of the resurrection that most people are ever going to see is the proof from your own life. And that's why we witness. But don't miss this either. Look again at verse 47. It says, And the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. Keep in mind, it's the Lord who added to their number. Our job is to be witnesses. Our job is to proclaim what Jesus has done. But the results of that witnessing are in God's hands. When it comes to the saving of souls, God is the one who does the heavy lifting. God's the one who breaks up the the hard ground of a stubborn heart. God is the one who brings conviction and enlightens a person's mind to the truth of Christ. So be confident. And don't be afraid. And be a witness. And when the time is right and the opportunity comes, be ready to tell people about the difference that Jesus has made in your life. Because that is Christ's call to his church. And it's important. Because you know what? Even if a church excels at everything else, even if a church faithfully preaches the word, even if a church has great fellowship, even if it has amazing times of worship and prayer, Even with those other things, we cannot be the church God wants us to be if we aren't being witnesses. And we cannot be a church that makes disciples if we are not seeing new people experiencing salvation. So for an application here, 
And this is especially if you're looking for a place to start. I just want you to focus on reaching out to one other person. Just one. Just ask yourself right now, is there someone in your life that you think there might be a possibility there where I could share my testimony? Someone who would listen to you for five minutes as as you just share what Jesus has done. And usually when I ask people that, usually a name or a face will come to mind with many people. Well, get that name in your head and just hold on to it. Think about that person. You can write down their name if you need to be. And then just be intentional about reaching out to them. You know, build a caring relationship with them. Spend time with them. Start conversations. Visit them. Share your life with them. Think about ways that you can bless them and pray for that person. Pray for them by name that God will open their heart and give you an opportunity. And you know what? As your relationship grows, just be honest with your faith about that person. You don't have to be pushy. You just have to be honest. And in time, moments will come in that relationship where you can be a witness and speak to that other person about Jesus. And I'm going to tell you, that may take months. That may take years. And that's actually completely normal. But the key is just to be intentional. And to keep keep looking for that opportunity to speak. And be intentional about saying, I am going to share my faith with this person whenever the opportunity comes. And that's really the final piece of God's plan for a disciple-making church. And you know what? 2,000 years later, lots has changed. But not that. Those four things that we saw here, every healthy church must have those things to make growing and healthy disciples of Jesus Christ. It's all right there. Instruction in the Word, fellowship with the saints, awe-inspired, prayerful, whole-life worship, and a commitment to evangelism and being witnesses to Jesus. And if you want to... Well, if you want to help remember them better, uh, this is what I do in my brain. I rearrange those things into an acronym that spells the word WIFE. Uh, W for worship, I for instruction, F for fellowship, and E for evangelism. And for me, that's such a fitting word because we're considered the bride of Christ. And that's still our call as the church, to do the will of Jesus. These things are still how our church is going to make a difference in our community and in our world. These things still matter. And this is still the kind of church that we can be. Even as we face this, you know, this, this current pandemic, we can still keep our focus on these things, these essentials, and remind ourselves this is what we still need to be doing as the church. And going forward, we may have to find some new and some creative ways to keep on doing these things. But again, no matter how much the world changes, we are called to be a disciple-making church and we're called to live lives of worship. We're called to spend time in, st- in instruction in the word, fellowshipping together, and reaching the lost world through evangelism and the sharing of our witness. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for the church. Um, we thank you for the people of God and the, the blessing of one another, the blessings of knowing that we do not have to walk this life of faith all alone, but you have given us each other, to hold us accountable, to encourage us along the way, to share our burdens with one another. Um, 
And that, Lord, in giving us each other, you've also given us a mission and a purpose to make disciples. And that, Lord, we would be committed to that task, that we would not stray from it, that we would not neglect those things, that we would not even forget. But that, Lord, we would be, the Great Commission would be our mission as a church. And Lord, to do that, as we saw today, we need to be devoted. Devoted to worship and living lives of prayer and praise in all that we do. Devoted to instruction in the word and being faithful and holding on to that and, you know, not turning away to things our itching ears want to hear, but, but Lord, committed to sound doctrine and teaching that to the people around us. And committed to fellowship, where, Lord, we would overcome our pride and our individualism and and our do-it-aloneness that we so often struggle with in our lives. And that, Lord, we would just learn to be vulnerable. Learn to let down our walls. And learn just to be able to share our lives with the people around us. And, Lord, committed to evangelism. That, Lord, we would not be a church that's content with just recycling all the old saints round and round again. But, Lord, we would be making new saints. New believers as we share our lives and our testimony with the people all around us. And Lord, we pray that in doing those things and in focusing on those things, that Lord, you truly would add add to our number those who are being saved. Those who are being made disciples. Because Lord, we know that you are faithful. And we pray that we would too would be faithful and that we would be devoted to these things. Devoted in all that we do and devoted most of all to you. That, Lord, in all of these things and in doing those things, that, Lord, we would glorify your name and lift it high. Thank you for these things. Pray that we would take this teaching to heart this day. In Jesus' name, amen.